Well, I have a story to start out with. <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, we, Beth and I just most recently came from South Carolina, um, and we got to know a lot of interesting people. And one of those interesting people was a friend who had dated a girl in high school, and he had dated her for a good several months. And a good high school relationship, you get to know each other, you hang out at school, you know, you, you enjoy each other. And then, you know, he decided to move on with another girl and go on from there. Um, but he decided, just as he moved on from the one girl to the next, that he would um, receive a phone call, a very interesting phone call from a friend of the girl he had just dated. And this friend from the girl that he had just dated had called him up and said, how dare you break up with my friend? (laughs) And he's like, oh, okay, I understand. You know, it's difficult, breakups, all that kind of thing. And she said, how dare you break up with my friend because she doesn't have a right hand? And my friend says, are you sure we're talking about the same person? The girl I dated was, didn't have had a right hand. I'm pretty sure. She said, oh, no, are you talking about this person? He said, yeah, this person, last name, this person. And he was like, in all the time I was dating her, I had no idea she did not have a right hand. How did he not know that? I do not know to this day. <laughs> and he does not know to this day. <laughs> But I tell you that story (laughs) to start out because wherever you are, whether you come here as a new believer, somebody who's just interested in the faith, whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long, long time, there are still things that we can discover about our Savior. Jesus is not missing a right hand. (laughs) I will say that. But I think in our Christian lives, there is this sense of discovery that some of us may miss as we go through our lives. You know, my wife and I love watching TV shows. If you've hung out with us at all, you'll know that we love watching movies and TV shows and all this kind of stuff. And we're going through the TV show Lost right now, which is very intriguing. Every episode is a new discovery about an island or the relationship or backstory and all this kind of stuff. Anyone watch Lost here? Anyone? Yeah, okay, good, good. Um, No spoilers, because I'm only in the second season. But the cool thing about Lost is that it draws you in because of that discovery. Every episode, you're like, what am I going to discover next about this island, about these people, about the way they interact? What am I going to discover next? And I think that is such a great picture of what the Christian life is supposed to be like. What are we going to discover next about the way that God deals with his people? About my friendship, that was he just saying, as my friendship with our Savior Jesus. (laughs) I don't know, maybe some of us, if if our spiritual lives were like on a TV show, like season one would be okay, and then it would be pretty boring from then on out. (laughs) Because we had that one spiritual high maybe back in the day, and now we're just kind of coasting all the way through. And there's that lack of discovery that sense of discovery. Um, So I turned and I chose this passage this morning because 
in it are some things that I've been discovering lately and I'd like to share with you. Maybe some of you have already discovered these things and it's going to be great and you can teach me later. <laughs> but I chose this story because also at the end of it, John who writes it says this, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written, and this particular story that we're going to read is written so that we may have, what? Life. As Rick talked about last week, you know, I'm not going to run across the stage, but, you know, running out of the tomb with Jesus, you know, there's that life that we're supposed to have. And this story is going to help us discover things about Jesus that will lead to life. I don't know about you, but I need that every day. And I, I think we all could admit in some sense we need that life of Jesus every day. So we're going to dive into John chapter 20 this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, go ahead and turn there to the near the end of the Bible. Um, John chapter 20. This is after Jesus is resurrected. In fact, scholars would say that it is the... Sunday after the resurrection, this Sunday in church history. Yeah, we've been tracking a week from now. Um, and this is the story, as some would call it, of Doubting Thomas. <laughs> That's a fun nickname. I thought I knew a pastor whose name, nickname was Pastor Pee-Pee. That's an unfortunate nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Doubting Thomas? That was an unfortunate nickname. <laughs> um, which one is more unfortunate? You can tell me later. But Doubting Thomas. <laughs> I'll tell you that story later. <laughs> it wasn't me. But Doubting Thomas, when the rest of the book of John shows Thomas as kind of this strong-hearted character. Like the first time we kind of meet him, he, set, he calls in the disciples and Jesus is with the disciples and they're going to go to Jerusalem. And the first lines that Thomas has in the book is, let us also go to Jerusalem so that we may die with Jesus. Thomas, pretty strong-hearted guy. And then the next time we find Thomas in the book of John, he asks Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, where you're going. How can we know the way? <laughs> He's like ready to go with Jesus. He's on fire. And then we get to this story this morning where he gets his unfortunate nickname. So let's read from John chapter 20 this morning and see what this nickname's all about, see where the discoveries are, uh, and see how they lead us to life in Jesus. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in the hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
I'm going to read on the next few verses just to give that context. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. You guys are paying attention. Good. So, discovery. What do we first discover about Jesus in this passage this morning? Well, the first thing we discover is actually through something that Jesus did not do. And I always like to give tips of how to read scripture when I preach because, you know, it's not just you coming here on Sunday morning, it's you continuing to do this throughout your lives and the rest of the weeks to come, right? So as you read scripture, um, I would encourage you as you read stories like this to imagine what, it, what you would do if you had to direct a movie or a TV show with this scene, how would you portray the characters? How would they be acting? Um, <laughs> specifically, when Thomas is not there and he comes into the room, how is he feeling? You know, he had missed out on seeing the resurrected Jesus and he still thinks that he's dead. Thomas still thinks that he's dead. And does he come into the room saddened, sad, overwhelmed with sorrow? Maybe that's why he wasn't there in this previous meeting where the other disciples met with Jesus. Because he was so overwhelmed with sorrow, he just like couldn't stand being around the same people that he had spent all that time with. Was he sad? Maybe he was a little fearful because he knew that um, his Messiah had been taken. He had been with this Messiah and, and the Jews were now holding power and maybe searching for others who were like Jesus who would then be crucified, maybe. Maybe he's fearful. Maybe he was just out for Chick-fil-A. I don't know. You're the director of the story. How would you do it? <laughs> but however Thomas is betrayed, we could say that the disciples did pretty much all the right things. They welcomed him in. They had been filled with the spirit from the passage before, and they said, they gave testimony. We have seen the Lord. And you maybe, if you're directing this, would have this kind of music swelling to like this point of conversion for Thomas, where it's going to be like, oh, Thomas has seen the, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, yes. But that's not what Thomas says, is it? He says, unless I see all these things and, place my hand in the side, I'll never believe. And then you could figure out, well, what, what were the disciples' response to that? Because we don't get that here. <laughs> what are the disciples going to respond to this guy? Um, are they going to try to, like, go, go to the tomb? Let's show them that, the evidence of the resurrection. Um, we, we had these ten witnesses. Come on, Thomas. Are they going to say, like, how dare you not believe us? What are you, like Victor Meldrew? If you don't know who Victor Meldrew is, that's a meme. Check it out. Um, but that's okay. Maybe the disciples just waited and prayed. I said, Jesus, why don't you show up again? And maybe they stayed in that room praying, waiting for Jesus to come. And if they did, do you notice the surprising part? the story how in verse 26 Jesus didn't show up that day he didn't show up that day or the next day or the next day or the next 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 day 
eight whole days. Jesus did not show up. What do we discover about Jesus from that? Jesus did not do. Well, I think we can discover from Jesus what maybe Thomas was discovering about him in that time. Because while Thomas was in that time, you could only imagine that he was probably turning to some of the Psalms. Some of the Psalms, like Psalm 13, which say, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Maybe Thomas was turning to a psalm that, his, that Jesus had quoted on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've been here and as other friends say they see you, but I don't see you. Why have you forsaken me? And you know the crazy thing about the words of those psalms that Thomas probably experienced and discovered about God? is that God had given his people, this is a crazy discovery, I think, God had given his people through the Psalms words to express disappointment in him. God had given his people words in the Psalms to express disappointment in God. Maybe that's why Jesus didn't come those eight days. Maybe Jesus was giving Thomas space and time to express disappointment in himself. That's a little crazy because a lot of us, we get a little uncomfortable when it comes to expressing disappointment, doubt, anger, fear, uncomfortable emotions, especially to God. Like, God is God. Like, aren't we supposed to be, like, nice and put together and neat for him? (laughs) Oh, but notice Thomas's words in verse 25. He said these these things, unless I see his hands and mark of the nails, place my finger in the mark of the nails, I'll never believe. And you know, Thomas never gets rebuked for that. (laughs) He never gets rebuked for that. When Jesus shows up, he lets Thomas just experience Jesus himself. And it's, I kind of imagine it like a parent with a child, you know. A, a child, five-year-old, comes up to their parent, and can you imagine this scenario? A child goes up to your parent, five-year-old, you know, very young, says, Mama, I'm very frustrated at you right now, and I just need some time alone with myself. And give me some space. Can you imagine a five-year-old saying that? I can tell you, I didn't learn how to do that until like I was 20. So, you know, <laughs> you know emotional development in a child. Um, but you can imagine a mom wouldn't be like, how dare you say that to me? Mom would say, you know, that's such a great idea. <laughs> I'm proud of you for recognizing your emotions. <laughs> I'm proud of you for knowing what you need to do to deal with those emotions. Go ahead, have your space. And I wonder what, if that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus sees Thomas and he's proud of him for being able to name his emotions, to be able to express that in a group of people and to be able to say, this is what I need. I wonder if Jesus is proud of him. 
And I wonder, just maybe, if Jesus is proud of us when we express our emotions to him. You know, the real ones, the raw ones, the ones that aren't packaged in a nice bow, but maybe are just shouts of excitement because we're so excited, or maybe just cries of pain because we have been so hurt. I wonder if God is proud of us when we come to him in those. Dan Allender and Tremper Longman put it this way in their book, The Cry of the Soul. They say this, that ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Maybe that's why Jesus gave him those eight days. To deal with the reality of those heavy emotions so that Jesus can show up in that real place. So have you discovered that God? Have you discovered that God who is big enough to handle it? Or do you believe in a God who is a little wimpy, who's a little offended at small mistakes that we say or express to him? Do you believe and discover a God who gives us words to express our disappointment in him? Do you believe in a God who would rather you yell and curse at him than to turn your back on him? Pretend there's nothing going on inside. Have you discovered that God? If you have, and imagine what life that would bring. Remember the story was written so that you may have what? Life. The discovery of this God who can handle all of the emotions that he has given us as creatures. Remember, he created us with emotions. They're not bad. <laughs> um, imagine what life that brings. How you don't have to worry about in prayer if I'm saying the right thing, the right way to get God's attention. Or to be anxious about if I've confessed every little thing to God. Or to be worried if I've um, stressed about not feeling the way that I think I should feel as a Christian. (laughs) Imagine the life that feels when all those stress and anxieties and worries are gone because you know that God is big enough to handle you wherever you are. Wherever you come to him this morning. Could you imagine what life that would bring to this church? What life there would be if someone who doubted came in our midst and we were able to just journey with them and let them ask questions and be okay with the messiness of not knowing all the right answers and just walk with them. Or maybe as, I got to do this because I'm the family pastor, right? But as we equip parents to disciple their children to let our children experience other viewpoints than ours and walk with them through those. Let them discover doubt. Let them feel those emotions and not block them out. Or walking with somebody in pain, in suffering, 
and not having to put nice little bow tie phrases on their pain, but allowing them to just blurt out their emotions. Or when somebody's going through some great joyous time to not stifle their joy, but allow them the room to express it and dance with it. (laughs) Imagine that life as a church. (laughs) Have we discovered that God together? Well, let's look at what Jesus did do. That's one discovery this morning. That's a good one. (laughs) I love it. Um, There are a few more discoveries, and these are going to be quicker. But these are discoveries about what Jesus did do after those eight days. Do Do you see what he did? And can you imagine, if you're being that movie director, how Jesus would have entered that room? What expression would you have Jesus be having as he enters that room? Because as Rick said this morning, I'm going to copy that. (laughs) Do you imagine that Jesus kind of shows up into this messy, broken place, kind of like a kid touching a snail? (laughs) Like, I don't really feel comfortable here, but I'd have to because I'm God <laughs> and I go into that stuff. And maybe kind of like this picture up here, if we show that um, next one on the slide. We have it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe kind of like that. And Jesus comes in and is like, oh, all right, got to deal with these messy people. <laughs> right? Or as Dane Ortland says in that same book, this whole high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. I think Thomas probably fits at least the numbed sufferer part. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. He cannot bear to hold back. Maybe the expression on Jesus' face was more like this one. I just can't wait to go and enter that room where all that messiness is and love those broken-hearted disciples. (laughs) As you, have you discovered that God? Let me show the next slide here of these two faces. When you think about yourself in your sin, in your brokenness, in your sadness, which of those two faces do you imagine God having towards you? <laughs> the, ugh, that's a little unfortunate that you dove into that sin. That's a little messy, but I guess I gotta show up there. <laughs> or is God in excitement, cannot hold back in coming and seeing you and smiling upon you. You know, we as good Presbyterians, we like to talk about God's sovereignty and how um, nothing we can do can lead us, can change God's mind towards us when it comes to our sin. Like all our good deeds are like dirty rags, right? So nothing we can do can make God save us. Nothing we can do can change God's wrath towards us when we were sinners, right? We proclaim that. But how often do we see the other side of that coin? (laughs) Once we are saved, once Jesus snatches us, (laughs) 
and saves us, do you believe that there's nothing you can do to make God less excited about you than he already is? That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None at all. Not even a little, but no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That nothing that we can do can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is, Jesus even prayed while he was here on earth that the love which God the Father had towards him, may that love also be shown to his disciples. I mean, imagine the love of the Father towards the Son in the Trinity. That's pretty astounding love, right? There ain't no sense of, ugh, just excitement. Jesus says, that love... It's for my people. That's for my people. And there's, there ain't nothing that they can do to make me less excited about them as a person. That's crazy. Have you discovered the heart of that God? I'm just going to make a quick reference to a book by Michael John Cusick. He writes a book on pornography, which is um, a really tough and messy sin. And it's probably the only book I would ever recommend on pornography because most books on pornography shame you and make you feel so bad about yourself (laughs) that you just get into this guilt trip complex. But instead, Michael says this, even in the midst of something like pornography, imagine these words from Jesus. Insert your name, Matthew. You have no idea how much I love you. My heart for you is no different now than it was when you first gave your life to me years ago. Every time you watched porn, I was right there loving you. Every time. I'm proud of you like a father with his son. Like a father with his son. And each time you're surfing for porn, I know you're really surfing for me. I want to heal you. Come to me with your broken heart. even in the midst of something as dirty as porn. God is right there loving each of you. That's where true life is found. Imagine it, where you don't, no longer have to go to church, serve, do the nice Christian-y things because you feel like you have to make up for something with God. <laughs> you no longer have to be shamed in coming to, to church after you haven't been here for a while because you think that somehow you have to make the record straight, right? Can you imagine the life that would bring where you just realize that God delights in you, wherever you are as his child? And the sin, the brokenness, all that, that's just like a fog that keeps us from seeing his smile. That's why we want to not sin anymore, not to like gain God's favor, but because it keeps us from seeing that smile. Keeps us from seeing that. That's the discovery. That's a beautiful discovery. Am I allowed just one more discovery for y'all? Maybe just one? (laughs) Because we've done some good excavating so far, but there's one more that just blows me away is that when Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you, and he doesn't rebuke Thomas at all, he just says, come touch me. 
come touch me. Like, imagine like getting a bullet hole in your hand and saying, hey, somebody come stick your finger in there. If you're having surgery and somebody says, hey, come stick your hand in that surgery. And Jesus says, hey, come touch me. I'm a person with a body. And Thomas gets to talk with Jesus and they have this little interaction. Now Jesus is a person. I don't know if we sometimes get that because in my mind, I've always grown up as thinking about God as this concept that we kind of like theologically have to wrap our minds about and have to say all the right things about, you know, all the things we've been talking about. And I don't know about you, but if I wanted to introduce you to my wife, Bethany, who's sitting right there, beautiful wife, Bethany, I wouldn't say, let's go have a class about Bethany's attributes. <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> and we could then, I could then tell you about the attribute of Bethany is hospitality, and the Bethany, Bethany is smile. Let's talk about that and all those things. Oh, you don't do that. You spend time with Bethany. <laughs> you get to hang out with her. Let's grab coffee together. Come watch a movie at our house. Come play games with us. You know, just hang out as a person. That's kind of like Jesus <laughs> in some ways. We can hang out with Jesus. Have you discovered that? <laughs> it, I'm still discovering it, by the way. And just to close this out, I want us to discover it with somebody who's probably the best at it that I know. A friend, speaking of interesting people from South Carolina, a friend of mine named Andrew Martin um, is probably the best at hanging out with Jesus that I've ever met. <laughs> and I've taken some clips from a Zoom call that we had as the, I interviewed him this week about this very thing and put it in a video for you all. He works with middle school students there, so he'll mention his students and how he talks with them about how he hangs out with Jesus. But just notice like, the life there. Think about how no, treating Jesus as a person that you can hang out with brings life. So 